All right, if you would turn to Luke chapter 10, we're still in the parables. We've been looking at uh, mostly in Matthew, but this parable today, <clears throat> we all know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan, and most everybody will be familiar with that. Uh, it's probably without doubt the most popular or the most familiar of all the parables. Uh, out of this parable that we've coined that term Good Samaritan, that's, that's where that came from. We use that to describe a person who treats others with compassion or meets their needs. That's <clears throat> kind of what that's been. And uh, we've developed Good Samaritan laws. Y'all have heard of those probably. You know that Good Samaritan law is uh, it's, it's intended to protect those who attempt to give aid to someone. And if they injure that person uh, or that person dies while they're attempting to uh, give care, then there's no liability against that person, so they coined that as a Good Samaritan law. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of Good Samaritan hospitals around the world. So it's pretty apparent from all those things that uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan is, is a really very popular, uh, and it's really ties to the way we treat others. And I believe that uh, Jesus' main purpose in telling this parable was something completely different from that. You notice that uh, over the past uh, five weeks, six weeks, we've looked at these different parables and we've looked at them from a different angle than we normally do. And we're not changing the meaning. We're not uh, trying to do away with anything we've talked about in the past or maybe you've learned in the past. But it's really trying to look at these parables, how Jesus intended them to be looked at. And uh, I've always thought that before about the uh, how we treat people. But before we get to the parable itself, uh, this, this situation just kind of uh, tells us a story of a lawyer uh, and kind of tells us that... Uh, the thought process of this Jewish lawyer, and we'll look at that in just a minute. So if you would uh, go to Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> the parable actually doesn't start uh, to verse 30, but we're going to start reading verse 25 <clears throat> and kind of get a proper context and really spend quite a bit of time there uh, on that first part of this. So uh, Luke chapter 10 uh, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up in front of him to test him, okay? Remember that so often in Scripture, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teacher of the law, they're testing Jesus. They're trying to catch him in something. So a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered him or said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, don't miss that statement right there because that is the heart of this parable. We've already read one part of this that we just read through. Teacher, what should I do? Okay. Then desiring to justify, to be justified by his actions himself, he said to Jesus, well, just who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus replied, this is the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and we saw him. He passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. So he's hitting those Jewish folks right there, the priest, the Levite. Uh, he came to a place and saw him pass by also on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal, his own animal, brought him and took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and what more, whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back through. Which of these three do you think provided proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. <clears throat> As I read this parable, you know... Uh, it's, uh, it's an encounter with Jesus and this Jewish lawyer. Uh, it's kind of a, a old story about the, uh, what profession came first. And there was three, uh, there was three guys there. There was a, a surgeon, an engineer, and a lawyer. And, and, uh, the surgeon said, well, uh, the surgery came first. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, God took a rib from Adam and created Eve. And the engineer said, well, no, the engineering came first because in Genesis chapter 1, God made the whole world out of chaos. And the lawyer said, no, you're both wrong. Who do you think created the chaos? <laughs> and uh, lawyers do that, don't they? They create chaos sometimes. And actually, this lawyer, there's no doubt that he's a Jewish lawyer and he's trying to cause some chaos with Jesus. He's trying to confuse some things. So uh, without a doubt, the, the purpose of this question at the beginning of this account is, is trying to say, all right, Christ, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm referring to the law. Remember the law? Just remember the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Law. So when we read in the Bible the law, just always think about just in general, the Old Testament, and it's the covenant that God made with Israel. So, so this lawyer comes, he talks about, he brings up the, uh, the question, what must I do to, in to inherit eternal life? That was the question that the lawyer came and asked. So I, I would kind of suggest that this entire account of this parable uh, tells that Jesus is describing more skillfully, more... Uh, artfully than the lawyer, and he ends up leading the lawyer to answer his own question. I like those commercials, Don't Become Your Parents, you know, those all of those different commercials. And uh, boy, I've got where I like watching Perry Mason. Does anybody like to watch Perry Mason still? That's a good show, isn't it? Boy, old Perry, he'll turn them things around and that if, if any town uh, hired a prosecutor like they had on there, he'd surely get fired. He, I don't know that he's ever won a case. I think I watched one time that he won a case, but a skillful lawyer uh, asked some skillful questions, and actually Jesus, more skillful than anyone, turned that question around to where finally the lawyer 
had to answer his own question. And the question that this lawyer asked reveals a lot about his convoluted thinking about salvation. Uh, his words contain an obvious contradiction right off the bat. He says, uh, what was I do to, to have this, <clears throat> excuse me, to have this inheritance? I want you to think about an inheritance just a minute. What do you do to receive an inheritance? You don't do anything, do you? I mean, if somebody, uh, if somebody leaves you an inheritance when they die, if somebody, if somebody passes that on, you didn't do anything to receive that. Now, you may say, well, sure I did. Well, all you did was build a relationship with that person. However you built that relationship, you built a relationship with that person, and he or she chose to leave you an inheritance. So when we think about that and we think about what the lawyer asked, he says, what must I do to get an inheritance? And, and the answer to that is we don't do anything to get an inheritance. We simply have a relationship with a person. And because of that relationship, there's an inheritance left. So as this parable starts off, he thinks eternal life is something that he can earn. This is the lawyer. He thinks by doing something, uh, he can receive his inheritance of eternal life, and he he uh, he doesn't think about a gift of God's grace. He's simply saying, "All right, teacher, tell me what I need to do to get an inheritance." And Jesus, obviously, he takes that. He puts uh, uh, perceives that the lawyer's putting him to the test, and. Uh, I love how Jesus turns these things around. You may have read this parable. I'm sure you've heard of this parable. And you never think about the trap that he springs for the lawyer. You know, we use that term today that you give enough rope and they'll hang themselves. Well, that's what Jesus does. He, he starts feeding a little bit of rope to this lawyer, and this lawyer starts answering these questions. And before you know it, he has trapped himself. And that's what I want us to look at. So in verse 26... Uh, Jesus, uh, instead of answering the question, he answers question. He asks a question. He says, "What is written in the law, and how do you read that?" So this lawyer comes, says, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus says, "Well, tell me what's written in the law, and tell me how you read those things." There's some good evidence that that this lawyer didn't have a real high opinion of Jesus. And you know, uh, the, the Jews and especially the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, uh, they, they did not like Jesus. And they were always trying to, uh, to catch him in some way. And, and here's a Jewish lawyer trained in the Jewish law. Something I miss out on sometimes. Pharisees and these religious teachers, they knew the law better than we can imagine. They knew the law better than we know the Bible. I mean, they spent their lives studying the law. That was their whole life. They didn't do it on Sundays and Wednesdays. They didn't get out uh, quiet time in the morning. They spent all day long, hours and hours and hours, studying the law. So this, this Jewish lawyer, this religious teacher, he, he has all these credentials, and he's talking to Jesus who's uneducated, who hasn't spent his whole life in the law. And I bet he thought when Jesus asked that question, what's written in the law and how do you read it, can't you see him just put his thumbs in his coat and go, man, I got this. This uneducated guy, surely he could come up with something deeper than that. 
Man, everybody knows what that is. And even this morning, if we said, what's the, what does Jesus say the greatest commandment is? A lot of us here would say, well, I know what it is. I may not know where it's found, but it's love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbors yourself. We just know that. And I'm sure this Jewish teacher said, hey, this is it. And he, he quotes or partially quotes uh, a passage of Scripture on Levit- Leviticus. And he, he says, this is the... Uh, are you, are you feeling me? Oh, I thought you was telling me to turn something on here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Flirting with girls. Where's Lindsay? Must not be here today. So uh, anyway, so this lawyer with all this pride, he spits this uh, rule out, and Jesus said, well, you're correct. That's what, that's what the, 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 the law says. Uh, and, and if it's possible for this lawyer, for any of us to earn eternal life, you have to have that vertical relationship, right? That's loving God with, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart. And you got to have this horizontal relationships, right? And that's loving our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus puts that. And in the end, he says, do this and you'll live. So this lawyer, this expert in the law, he, he quotes or at least quotes that law that, that uh, if you keep, therefore, if you keep my statutes and my rules, if a person does them, then he shall live by them, and I am the Lord, Leviticus 18.5. Jesus kind of uses that. He kind of paraphrases that. Again, the lawyer would have heard that immediately. He would have uh, understood what Jesus is quoting. He's quoting from the, from the Old Testament, and, and it's absolutely crist, uh, uh, critical we understand it. At this point, Jesus is not teaching that we're saved by our works. I'm going to get to this in just a minute, something that's taken me years to finally figure out. But Jesus is not saying if we just love God with all our heart, love our neighbors, that we're going to have salvation. What he's doing is he's taken this lawyer, he's broke this down to the point that he's going to teach this lawyer it's impossible to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer's not there yet. He don't realize that's where they're headed, but it's kind of interesting as he begins to talk more to Jesus about this, and this is kind of a pivotal point in this entire encounter because Jesus' words, he gives this man a chance to acknowledge that he's incapable of doing so. Jesus kind of opens that door and says, hey, what does the law say? And here's what the law says. And the law says also in Leviticus, you should live by those things because I am the Lord. So Jesus opens that door and, and he gives this guy an opportunity to say, you know what? Uh, it's really hard, God. It's really hard, Christ. I, I can't do those things. I can't. I can't. I can't possibly have eternal life through those things. But instead, in his arrogance, the lawyer's like, well, I'm doing those things already, and am I already there? So uh, he's blinded by his own arrogance, by his own pride. He just thinks, hey, I've done everything I need to do. So again, he looks at Jesus and says, well, okay, who is my neighbor? Now, remember what I said. He's trying this whole time to trap Jesus. And it's really interesting that the lawyer skips that, that vertical part of that statement, doesn't he? He doesn't say, I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I fulfill those. Probably the reason he skipped that is he knows he didn't do that. Y'all remember the, the Pharisees and all, how they changed the law up where they could keep it? So down deep, this, this lawyer probably said, well, I'm not doing that. So he just skips over loving God 
He goes straight to this, to this horizontal part and he says, okay, just tell me who my neighbor is. Now, the reason that's a trick is he understands who the Samaritan is. He knows Jesus understands who the Samaritan is. So he's going, okay, tell me who my neighbor is. If I'm supposed to love him with all my heart, and, and he thinks that Jesus is going to side with him. So what he's doing is he says, okay, I'm a Jew I at least give credit to Jesus as being a Jew. Jesus is going to know who our brothers are, and he's going to know who we're, who we're to love. So, so when he asks that question, he's not simply saying, uh, Jesus, I need you to tell me who my neighbor is. He's saying, hey, I, I, I want to know, I want to hear from you who I'm supposed to be loving. Now, now listen, here's what I said it took me a long time to, to realize. The Old Testament... I've heard this all my life. It just reveals our sin. Well, I've heard that forever. You know, well, it just reveals our sin. Or it points to Christ. It reveals our sin. It points to Christ. The more we study the Old Testament, and and I'm not talking about just read it. The more we study the Old Testament, the more we realize we cannot keep the law. We, we, don't, we don't have the capability of keeping the law. There are so many things we can look. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments. And, and you say, well, I, you know, I've never killed nobody. I've never stole anything. I've never, uh, uh, I've never had an affair with anyone. We can list all those things we haven't done. I, I tell you all occasionally on Wednesday evenings, I listen to a guy on the radio. It's called Wretched Radio. And, and he goes to college campuses and he walks around and uh, most of the people he talked to are not believers. Most of them are unchurched. And, and he always starts with the Ten Commandments. And most all of them know some of the Ten Commandments. And he'll say, well, uh, what do you think about the Ten Commandments? They'll start this conversation. It's always good dialogue. It's always good conversation. And, and uh, he'll say, well, have you, ever, uh, have you ever looked lustfully upon a, a, a girl or a woman? And and, you know, nearly all those college guys would kind of laugh, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I've done that. And he goes, well, have you, have you ever taken anything that's not yours? Have you, ever, have you ever went to a job and left with a pen in your pocket that wasn't yours? Did you take it back? Did you, uh, did you do this? Have, have you ever slandered anybody or talked to anybody and about anybody, talked down on them? No, everybody answers yes. And he says, okay, so you're a thief, a liar, uh, and a slanderer. Well, no, I'm not all those things. Well, you just said that you know the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments you've broken. He, there's five of them. He usually goes, and, and I've broken all five of them. Uh, I've probably broken all ten of them, but uh, he, he, after just a few minutes, he's, he's showing them that the law simply reveals the fact that we can't keep the law. If we could, Jesus Christ had never went to the cross. If we could keep every aspect of the law, there would be no need for Christ to go to the cross. So this Pharisee, or this teacher, this lawyer is saying, I have kept the law, and I'm going to skip the God part. I, I, I love my brothers. And, and if you don't believe that, tell me who my brothers are, with the ideal that Jesus would say, well, it's all the Jews. And he would say, I love all the Jews which would be a lie. He hated Jesus, didn't he? Enough they put him on the cross. But, but he, he said, he said I, who is my brother? He would have not considered a Samaritan to be a brother. 
He would not have considered them to be anything that Jesus would say you need to love the Samaritans. That, that animosity, that division between the Jews and Samaritans, it goes all the way back to the Syrians, and they came to the, to the northern tribes in 622 before Christ. And they confronted uh, this group of, of Israelites there. There's a king sent them down there. The tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, they came. They came into that area. They married with Israel, Israelites. They, they took wives there. They intermingled there. They, they built a temple there. They started worshiping there. And what they did is they took Jewish religion, and they took the the religions of the of the Samaritans, and they mingled that together with Christian beliefs, and all of those things mixed together, and they even built a temple there, and said, "Hey, this is where Moses said we're supposed to come worship." So the Jews considered them half breeds. They they said, "Well, they're not even Jews. They're they've lied about Moses. They've built their own temple. They've they've." poisoned the Jewish religion. So they're not brothers, they're half-breeds. They're, they're not even part of who we are. So, so why would you even use this as an example? See, what he's done is, is all of a sudden he's having to confront his own, his own uh, hatred of others in the face of he answered the law, he answered the question, what must you do to inherit eternal life? And, and he says, I love my brothers. I've, I fulfill that part of the law. And all of a sudden, Jesus reveals to them that, that hey, I, I can imagine this Pharisee said, you know, Jesus is going to hate the Samaritans, and after all, God's going to hate them too. They missed the point. He missed the point that God loves everyone. You know what, folks? We miss that point, don't we? There's too often that we don't think about God loves everyone. He even loved the Samaritans. He even loves those people that we say, you know what, I don't really love that person. Matter of fact, I kind of hate that person. See, that's where, the, that's where the Jews were. That's where this lawyer was. So when he was confronted with the truth of, how can I inherit the kingdom of God? And God said, Jesus said, love your neighbors just like you love yourself. There's a light started going on. I think he started to understand that, that he hated those Samaritans. And, and uh, so which of these three things do you think proved to be his neighbor? This, says the, this is verse 36. Which of these three do you think uh, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He asked him another question. So first the guy answers the question. The lawyer says, I know the law. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. I fulfilled all these things. After all, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus asked him another question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the guy wouldn't even say the Samaritan. Did y'all notice that? That sounds like something I'd do. He didn't even say Samaritan. He said, the one who showed mercy. I can't even bring myself to say that. And, and as the lawyer answered his own question once again, his neighbor was just not his fellow Jews. He realized his, his neighbor was anyone that, that has shown mercy, and God shows mercy to all. The main purpose, I skipped part of this, the main purpose of, of this parable is this. Uh, is first, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That was the, the main question of this parable. Now, people take this parable. Matter of fact, there was a 
what was that, Augustine, he, he took this parable and he, he said the, the Samaritan represents uh, Satan and the priest represents the Jews and the Samaritan rep- represents the Christian church. I mean, he took all of that parable and, and said, here's the meaning of that. I think if Christ wanted us to know the meaning, he would have put it in there. You know, in these other parables, he explained what they are. The main purpose of this parable is to answer the lawyer's original question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The, the teacher approaches Jesus thinking he was adequate, thinking he was prepared, thinking he had everything in order to earn eternal life. Jesus' goal was to, for the lawyer to see he is incapable of earning salvation. Y'all remember last week, if you were here, we talked about... Uh, the, the guy, that the, the, the shrewd master, and, and two of them went and invested the money, and the last guy said, I knew who you was. Two of them said, Master you, Master you, and this last guy said, Master I. Here we see again, we see a guy saying, said, Christ, what must I do? What's my responsibility to inherit eternal life? Inheriting eternal life does not have to do with what we do for God, but what God does for us. That's the bottom line of this parable. It doesn't have to do with what what must I do for God, but accepting what has God done for me. I can just imagine, and I'm getting close to closing here, I can just imagine what that religious leader, what that teacher of the law must have thought. He probably thought, well, he got me on the first question. Doggone, he got me on the second question. But I can live with it. But look in verse 17, 37. Jesus said, now you go and do likewise. That Boy, that had to be the one that cut right there. Go and do likewise. Go, go and do likewise of the one that you said really showed mercy Go and do likewise. And I think at that point, again, Christ was giving him an opportunity to say, well, I can't do that. I, in my own power, I can't love a Samaritan. In my own power, uh, I, can't, I can't give him mercy. In my own power, I can't give him grace. And, and I think that's for us today that we can understand that Jesus Christ offers us that mercy. It offers us that grace that we that we need. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning, and I'm I'm going to close with just a couple of thoughts. Again, eternal life is a matter of of not so much what I must do for God, but what God has done for me. Let me suggest some things. We we are a broken people. The law reveals that. Kind of like that Samaritan. We've been beat up. We've We've been robbed of our hope. We've been robbed of our joy. We, we're helpless in our own power to do anything. I said it took me a long time to really understand that Old Testament, as simple as that is, to, to realize all it does is reveal our sins. But you know what? It takes even longer to realize I'm helpless when I come before God but it's because of His actions, not, not what must I do and in, inherit life, not, Master, I know you and I know how, how tough of a guy you are, and, uh, but it's simply to say, God, in my ability, I can't do anything.
I can't receive your inheritance by anything I do, but only through a relationship with Jesus Christ do I have an inheritance in heaven. Denise's mom's funeral was yesterday, and we we had the funeral service, and you know I was thinking how how tragic it would be. There was a there was a lot of people there, a lot of visitors. I didn't know a lot of the folks there, not the family, but I, I didn't know a lot of the other folks there. But just to think about, you know, God is going to come back one day, and I want all our family there. I want all our church there. I want all our brothers and sisters there. And how tragic would it be to hear the Word of God and say, you know what, when I get things worked out, I'll live a little better life, I'll do a little better around people, I'll love my neighbor a little bit, and I think God will give me a little mercy from that. That's what the lawyer thought. Hey, I've kept the law, I've loved everybody, I'm loving God, I'm loving my, my fellow Jews. That's enough, ain't it? But God said, go and do likewise. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ, well, let me just start if you have accepted Christ. I, I want to I address you first. Uh, that parable ought to force us to our knees to, to lift up those who are lost. To say, God, I just want to pray for this lost person. I don't know if they're saved or lost, but I just want to pray for them. For those that's never accepted Christ, that are to show us that in our own power, we can do nothing to heal ourselves. But because of Christ's great love for us, because of His compassion for us, yet while we were sinners, He sent His Son to die in our place because the law taught us we can't do anything for ourselves. But grace teaches us that we can receive God's riches at Christ's expense. Folks, if the Holy Spirit's moving within your heart today, I want to encourage you, I want to ask you to surrender to Christ. Just let go and let God have control and give your life to Him. I always worry about folks that say, well, everybody always thinks I'm a Christian. I, I just can't do that. But down deep, that Holy Spirit of God saying, you know you've never accepted Christ. That's the Holy Spirit of God. That's not Jake saying that. That's not the church saying that. That's the Holy Spirit. This morning, would you just say, God, speak to me through your Holy Spirit. Let me see myself spiritually through your eyes and then respond accordingly. Christians, pray. If you've never accepted Christ, just if God is calling you, the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, I want to ask you to respond together. Face, with, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? There's going to be a day that we're going to stand face to face with Christ our Savior. You'll be held accountable for this message today. I'll be held accountable. But you'll be held accountable for God's Word. That's not to scare you or threaten you. That's just the truth of God's Word. When we hear the truth, God holds us accountable. Would you respond? Father, I ask that you'd move in the heart of your people uh, that would respond to the wooing of your Spirit in this place today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.